This episode of The Fit Gas is brought to you by Pedestal Footwear at pedestalfootwear.com. You can buy two pairs and get free shipping. These guys have engineered the ultimate sock for people that like to train hard with the benefits of barefoot training and the benefits of a shoe. Check them out at pedestalfootwear.com. Hello, welcome back to the Fitcast. My name is Kevin Larrabee, and back on the show, it's been a, it's been like a long time. I think we've talked about this at multiple Perform Better summits and stuff like that about doing another one of these, but like schedules and you, you're you're traveling all the time, Michael. But that is Michael Mullen. Michael, how you doing? I'm great, Kevin. Good to hear from you. How are you? Doing good. And uh, like I was just saying, we were we were just out in Chicago, which seems like days ago, but I guess that's now two weeks ago. It's a couple weeks ago. Exactly. I, I don't know how all this this time stuff works, but um, you know, we were just out there. And I think maybe the best place to kind of start with this talk is uh, you presented out there. And like one of the first things that I wanted to talk to you about was you know, you've been teaching on this circuit for for a couple of years now, so that's definitely um, the the demographic that we get for the Perform Better Summits is so wide because you get like the the people that are just really into this stuff. You have personal trainers, you have strength coaches, you have people that are in you know massage or physical therapy and stuff like that. So you have this huge wide range. So um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about you know just how how that all went and you know how to kind of get your message across yeah. to such a wide range. It's actually it's a great question and it's an ongoing development in terms of the processing in all honesty. You know, when when Chris first asked me to do it, I guess it was probably about four years ago, um, mm-hmm. and we were really the focus of the the talk that I did was very PRI heavy. Um, a lot of people were really getting getting into posture restoration and trying to figure out, you know, applications to their particular environments. Uh, certainly a lot more people in the performance and strength and conditioning world were starting to look into it more and take the courses, which is fantastic to have a better appreciation of some of the other uh, aspects of our human body and systems than, than many of us learned in school. Um, and so, you know, the first talk was really kind of a kind of an intro and, you know, very light application aspect from a lecture perspective and then from a, a hands-on demonstration uh, and then the following couple of years, I've just kind of, I, I mean, I don't want to kind of keep doing the same thing every year because a lot of people come back to these and, right. and are looking to have updates and adjustments and changes. And the beautiful thing is that there's so much applications and carryover from some of the different sciences and the different um, ways that people utilize different systems in their, their assessments of their clients and their patients that there's a lot of applications with a lot of the different uh, systems for a lot of the different populations that are coming to these things. Mm. PTs, ATCs, strength coaches, uh, general personal trainers, you know, all of them are still looking to truly be able to provide the best um, information and programs for their patients and their clients. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of carryover. Um, so I really try very hard to split the middle. I mean, I figure that if I can be able to get some information that's going to be able to um, educate people who have very little exposure to the way that I, I learned to look at the human body and my clients and the people that I see, mm-hmm. integrating a number of different disciplines. But my, my primary lens that I look through is, is the postural restorations, uh, viewing and assessments and intervention strategies. 
and then how I delve into utilizing some of the other uh, aspects of things such as um, you know, different, uh, movement assessments, different hands-on therapies, different, uh, you know, self, uh, self-management principles that people can learn to utilize for, for self-maintenance and home programs, mm-hmm. um, to be able to kind of get the, the realm of PT rehab world all the way through the, uh, personal training, strengthening and performance world. And, you know, I think that if anybody were to, you know, pigeonhole themselves, I guess I would say, into one discipline or one science, I feel that to some degree they would be a little bit limited in, in their ability to be able to um, address all of the different patients and clients' needs that they're going to have. Yeah, and I, I think, um, I mean, one of the things that I I kind of talk about, we with everything that we do at, at MBSC, it's always like group centric. So um, I, that's something that we could definitely get into. But what I should have preferenced people to do is if, if this is the first time that you've heard Mike on the show, go back and listen to the first couple episodes. I think we did two or three shows like pretty, pretty close together, kind of getting into uh, really the, the background of, of PRI and a little bit on, on how you, you implement it at, at your practice in the team setting. But I think we'll probably get back into that a little bit more today. And it's it's been a while. So I think it's good to revisit that stuff anyways but sure. um, maybe if you if you are tuning in right now like pause you know go scroll down that feed of episodes and it might have been i should have had this in front of me but I'll, I'll say like 50 episodes ago something like that and then you can kind of pick back up once you you go do that but i think that's some good prerequisite information and and i think that's maybe a, a good place to kind of continue to go forward is like you know a lot of the the pri terminology can sometimes like go over people's heads so have, have you been able to kind of put together you know a system to to better communicate this stuff to to the the i guess the, the more general audience that may not have all those concepts uh beforehand you know i i liken a lot of the terminology and the 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 different um, labels that the institute has developed in an effort to try and create commonality of language mm. uh, to be able to create consistency with the message and the movements and the positions that they're trying to have people understand mm-hmm. uh, and, and how to put them into as a result of um, correction of an underlying pattern or correction of something that they discovered needed to be addressed during an assessment. And some of the, I hate to say confusing nature, because when you, when you, when you study it a little bit and you understand it, it's really not that confusing. Right. But the the challenge for people who are new to the science is that they do get hung up in some of the different labels and the different uh, mnemonics and the different uh, abbreviations that are used. And then they begin to lose the ability to then provide um, the, the application that they need. And or if they're listening to a lecture, they're thinking about what it is that someone's talking about as they go through a different language, processing what it means. But then they've lost kind of the, the point of what that person was making at the time that they mentioned something. So the, the commonality of the language is critical for me when I'm talking to like minded clinicians, when I'm talking to um, other other practitioners who are going to be managing a patient or a client at the same time as me. Uh, when sitting and discussing with with other colleagues about you know case studies or or getting into a, a more in-depth conversation with people that that language is really critical. It just saves a lot of time and explanation as to what it actually is. Right. You're all able to go there at the same level. And it's not to try and leave other people out. In fact, if anything, is trying to create the, the consistency with everybody being able to, to um, speak the same language and, and discuss at the same level. Exactly. That being said, I find that being someone who's a visual learner myself and being someone who um, goes good with some things being explained sometimes a couple of different ways, 
Um, I feel that I've, I've found ways to explain and demonstrate and show things in a way that is a little less complex um, and is a little bit easier to have people grasp and understand. And then I basically will say it's kind of up to them over the course of the following whatever amount of time to then, you know, say, what does this actually mean for a phraseology? Mm-hmm. You know, if someone talks about what a, you know, FAIR is of a, of a joint, you know, of the hip joint, what is, what, what are they referring to? Or AFIR, what does, what does that mean? Well, it looks like this. And when it's doing this position, then that's what it's demonstrating. And, as a result of that, I think the ability to get people to at least, you know, appreciate and, and understand the, the basic tenets of what the Institute's trying to get across in terms of, you know, recognizing patterns that are labeled and are outlined uh, and understanding the different, you know, chains of muscles that all work together to try and create uh, a balance in the system in a, in a, in a sometimes more successful way than others. <laughs> Um, as well as some of the other influences that, that are very technical. They're very science heavy. They're very biomechanically heavy. Um, I think from a, per, from a standpoint of being able to understand that is what makes it an enriched study, which is why so many people love it <laughs> because it's speaking in things on a much, much deeper level than those of us who um, are seeking to try to find out more got when we were in school. Right. Or got with some of the current coursework. Um, I felt for many, many years that that there was just this oversimplification and overly direct approach to the way that many things are addressed. I don't think it's wrong necessarily, but I don't think it was optimal. Totally. And, and from a standpoint of looking at something and saying, okay, I measured the range of motion and it's tight, so I have to stretch it into the opposite direction to improve <laughs> that range of motion, mm-hmm. you know, in the early days, that's what you learn. Um, and strengthening specific muscles and, you know, okay, well, I'll do this assessment and I'll realize where some weaknesses are and then I'll give you a program and you'll, you'll do it for two or three weeks to address a particular muscle and then I will recheck you and see if it's stronger. Well, you know, what the institutes kind of really come across saying, hey, you know what, there's ways to tap into the system a little bit differently that will allow you to be able to make those changes in a more pronounced way a lot faster mm-hmm. because now you're really dealing with all of the senses and you're really dealing with things on a, on a neurological level versus a very uh, direct, more simplified level, um, which, again, helps some people. But, you know, from a standpoint of those of us that, that have been in the field longer and are looking for more answers for those that we're not as successful with, it's really provided a lot of answers. This is this is a little selfish of me, and and I think it's okay because now that the Chicago summit has passed, I also don't feel like I'm taking away from like you know Chris and the Perform Better you know organization and stuff. Right. But, um, I had to fly out on Saturday, so I was not there for your talk on Sunday. So I was just kind of curious, you know, uh, what were kind of the main you know take home points from that? What were you trying to to get across to the to the audience? I think that's a great question. I, I, you know, well, I was only at Chicago this year, so uh, it's not it's not as if I'm going to be presenting it somewhere else. So thanks for thinking of that. The, the, the title of my talk was, excuse me, one second. <clears throat> the title of my talk was basically optimizing training through a more balanced system. Mm-hmm. So you know, looking at things from a perspective of what is considered a balanced system to um, the mainstream population, as well as those of us that that are in the strength and conditioning and training world. You know, what does it what does a balanced system mean? And is it realistic to think about actually ever really having a truly balanced system? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we went into some of the different you know assessments that people will utilize and put into place to try to determine what 
uh, in their mind will will uh, create an understanding about what um, uh, allows their their clients and their patients to be in as good a position as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the different you know uh, sciences and programs are there to try and determine differences side to side with you know strength or range of motion or mobility. Um, and so, you know, how, do, how do you go about getting to that end result? And then what is, what is the steps you take and what information do you glean from the, your assessments to then develop a program that will help you with that? Mm-hmm. And we talked about some of the different systems that are in place and, and I put a bunch of videos up that, that talk about, um, uh, or demonstrate people who are definitely not centered and balanced, who definitely compensate through different ways. And, you know, many of them that are being demonstrated with through the videos are obviously people that I see because they've had pain and problems. But, you know, if, if the system, you know, isn't in a balanced way, let's say, or you see someone do something that movement is, is what you would perceive as being fairly, um, insufficient and, but they don't have any pain or problems, you know, to what degree do you go and intervene and correct that? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we spent some time talking about the assessments that matter to me, and then we went into um, the things that I think are important to then integrate into a program to help them kind of lock that down. So we talked about some of the stuff like, um, you know, in inhibition and what inhibition means and not mm. shutting muscles completely off, but getting them to be not quite so overactive and, and influencing a position mm-hmm. uh, a certain way. We talked about ways to get people understanding how to use gravity and grounding and, and getting their body to be a little bit more balanced in the middle or, or what we call centering. And then their ability to be able to kind of use alternating activity once they've got those those base understandings in place to allow their body to be able to move more efficiently side to side through whatever the movement pattern is they're trying to do. And then we talked about rest. I mean, again, it's it's, it's becoming an increasing topic, but, you know, uh, our, our bodies are, are grossly underrested <laughs> and under-recovered. Um, and, you know, even just kind of someone who, who spends all day at a, at a job sitting at a desk or uh, a mother who's home with, with two children all the time running around, um, you know, we have very high schedules and very crazy days. And, and you know, what does rest truly mean and the ability to be able to achieve all of those things that we talked about? I, and then the hand, oh, sorry. sorry. I was going to say, no, then the hands on, we went into doing some real particular activities. You know, I know that a couple of the other people who uh, had done some lectures, you know, got into, you know, supine breathwork activities and teaching people a little bit more understanding, you know, proper air movement and the importance of more of an exhaled state to, to be able to allow positions to, to be most optimal for movement. So I decided not to do that again. So I went more into a little more upright activities that people could begin to incorporate pre-workout for either their, you know, private client base, uh, rehabilitation, uh, or even in a, in a group or small group format. Mm-hmm. So we did some, some reaching breathing activities. We did some quadruped breathing activities. Uh, and then we showed people how to kind of move through both sides efficiently through like dynamic warm up exercises as well as, um, uh, principles related to half kneeling positioning and stuff like that, that, uh, addressed particular biases that people would have. Uh, I'm curious if we, if we could take a step back and talk a little bit about uh, rest and recovery because I think that is I mean that's something that you're you're absolutely correct. It's something that we we always forget. Like it was almost hard enough to get people to start doing you know proper warm up stuff that we haven't even gotten to really getting them to consider uh, you know rest and recovery so they can be recovered and ready to go for the next session that we're going to have them with. So um, I guess like what, what advice or, or what kind of suggestions do you, do you give people to, you know, have a, the most optimal recovery before they come back in for that next session? 
Um, a few things I tell people. So number one, uh, you know me, I'm a breathing freak and, and you know, uh, people who, who, um, know my work. I mean, uh, pretty much a hundred percent of the people that I see all get some breath work training Hell yeah. and, and the breath work training is designed to allow them to be able to, um, have better access and control of something that is more automatic from the standpoint of being able for survival, mm-hmm. uh, to making it more conscious and a little bit more deliberate to be able to tap into it for a number of different reasons, whether it's for, uh, improving the ability to use it as a component of training and exercise to be able to use it as a way to work on, um, decompressing for rest and recovery. Mm-hmm. So when, when, when taught through proper breath work, what people are able to do then is use that as, as a, as a way to be able to kind of reduce their uh, overactivity of muscles and the stress levels on their system to allow them to be able to rest better. So that's one thing I definitely talk to people about and, and how to apply that for, for those principles. Uh, number two is, is consistency with a schedule. Uh, matters a lot. Uh, it's yeah. not realistic all the time, but you know, being as good as you possibly can and saying, okay, I have to get up at X time tomorrow morning. So how do I be able to nail in seven good hours, hopefully eight, seven good hours of time in order to have that happen? Uh, and then having that happen as a, as, as a consistent uh, schedule as is possible. Along those same lines are the things that also will affect sleep and sleep disturbance, such as, um, you know, uh, a light, any, you know, light, uh, neon lights and things like that from clocks and from, uh, you know, lights from chargers for phones and, and laptops and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the glow of, of TVs and stuff like that that can really disturb people's ability to get uh, a quality nocturnal uh, REM sleep and go through all the appropriate REM cycles that they need matters. Um, being able to shut down screen time at least half an hour prior to going to bed um, is, is really, you know, the more I read about that, it's just another really critical thing. And, you know, screen time obviously being not only television, but also your computer as well as your, your, your phones and stuff like that. Um, and then spending some time once you get to bed to, to allow bed to be not just about rest and sleep, but also a way to kind of decompress, whether it's, you know, reading for 20 minutes or, or doing some breath work and meditation or, or spending time talking to your spouse about, you know, kind of the day and, and using that as time to kind of really decompress and settle down prior to going to sleep, I think really is another really helpful tool. I, I think phones are like the number one, uh, the number one destroyer of sleep patterns now that yeah. everyone has their phone and I'm, Hey, I'm raising my hand. I'm like, I'm like the worst at this because not only am I looking at my phone before I go to bed, but also, you know, I wake up to, to go pee in the middle of the night. Like I got to make sure the world's still going. You know, exactly. I got to make sure like, exactly. I got to check Twitter. Wait, hold up. What? D- Dwayne Wade signed with the Chicago Bulls. I need to know about this. So uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's just like the terrible stuff of the world that we live in today of immediacy and not being able to, to chill out. But I, I go like, maybe like many people, it's like you go through like, uh, waves of like, I'm really good with just going to my Kindle. Don't even touch my phone, then pass right out in five minutes. Um, but yeah. like you're hundred percent re- correct. Like you got to get a, uh, a, some structure and some schedule in there. So you make sure that you're not doing it just like when you're, you know, feel like being good that night, you just got to do it kind of every night and make it a, um, make it a habit. Absolutely. You know, and along those same lines, to your point, when you said Kindle, I mean, even that right there, Kevin, I know it's it's easy and convenient and a good way to download stuff. But even that, I just I mean, we're very sensorily enriched people. I know. So just having a book that you can kind of feel and kind of pages and kind of looking at stuff and the, the, the depth that it creates uh, is is stuff that your body and is really kind of going to be helpful for. So I bought, I bought a I bought a paper book this morning. I've been going back and forth between getting 
books and like Kindle books and like paper books because like you, you travel a lot too. Like yeah. I, I just like having the Kindle so I can just bring a crap ton of books with me wherever I go. And sometimes I want to read, you know, the history of time and space. Sometimes I want to read, you know, a biography and sometimes it's like, you know, the, the, you know, personal development type stuff, but, um, you're, you're hundred percent right. I think paper books, paper books, I believe in the next five years are going to be coming back hard. I think yep. people are going to really get back into paper books because, uh, yep. they're, they're, they're kind of cool again, which is good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, your coworker said something about that. Just, I think he, he <laughs> sent something message yesterday, you know, the, yeah. your best investment is my best investment ever is a book. It's always brings value or something like that. Kevin. Oh, I'm, I'm trying to, um, I, I can't remember the name of the book, but there is a book that, um, I recently checked out that was all about, um, it was like some kind of like financial analyst or something like that. Uh, that is, that, 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 uh, recommended like the number one investment that you can make is in yourself. Like don't, you know, invest in, in stocks unless you're really good at that or something. Uh, but you know, the best thing that you can do is kind of continue to work on like self-development and, and trying to work on, on your business and, and reinvesting in yourself and going to seminars. Like, uh, I can't tell you how crazy it is to think that people don't go to these perform better summits when they're $289 for three days of education. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Blows my mind. Yeah. And these aren't all sold out. Yeah. Um, so along those same lines, in all honesty, which which to your point is, you know, this is the thing that I think, you know, and I'm talking about rest and relaxation and balance systems and whatever. I'm talking about all of this. You know, our 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 brain is constantly deceiving us and it is mm-hmm. constantly playing tricks on us in an effort to try and work on processing, creating context to be able to understand stuff as well as uh, putting things into place. And it's going to try to take the simplest route possible. And it's going to constantly feel like, oh, unless I direct, I see a direct application to something, I don't necessarily think that that applies to me. Mm-hmm. So when it goes to these sleep things, or we talk about, you know, putting the phones down prior to going to bed, or, you know, uh, we talk about balance systems or, or airflow, or any of that stuff, it's really, it, it's about, it's about mindfulness and, and the ability to recognize that, you know, your brain is going to be trying to figure out ways to make things as efficient as it possibly can mm-hmm. or saying to itself, well, that stuff doesn't that, that, that doesn't apply to me. I mean, I, don't, I wake up feeling rested the next morning if, I, if I'm on my phone right up until bedtime. But it's because the, it's because it's, it's easy for them to for them to to dismiss that information, but they mm-hmm. can't feel and appreciate what actually is happening to their system inside. Until they start to get to the point that now they're seeing me because they have a lot of problems. You know what I mean? Or they say, "Man, my my uh, you know my my nearsighted, my myopia has really gotten really bad recently." Or all of these other things that you say, "Well, it might be attributed to," and they're like, "No, no, 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 no." I mean, the, the, the eye doctor just says it's because of this, or no, that the stress is just because you know I'm stressful at work. But it's like, no, there are other factors at play that are all influencing this. Well, do you and think your practice is like really like the the almost the emergency room for performance? Like y- 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 the people that come in, like your clients are like when they are messed up, they come into you and it's like, yeah, I probably should have been dealing with this. I probably should have been taking care of myself, but you know, I didn't. Something bad happened, and now they they come to you to to fix the problem. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, my practice has has changed actually since the last time we spoke, Kevin. And, and I was in, you know, I was an outpatient orthopedic physical therapy for, you know, twenty five years with mm-hmm. you know busy schedule, seeing patients all the time, and you know, with a, a whole wide variety of injuries and ailments and surgical interventions, as well as levels of, of, um, 
you know, everything from, from your, you know, much, much older population to your much younger population to your high level athletes to your people who just basically want to be able to kind of walk every day and be able to get a little bit of uh, outdoor time. Mm-hmm. And, and I've since kind of gone on my own about six months ago. And so now what I'm doing is I'm seeing people, um, who, you know, it's that next level, if you would. I see really complex people who um, who have had a lot of pain and problems for quite some time um, or have had a lot of ailments and injuries and haven't been able to get success with the other approaches that they've taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them want to be active somehow. So the place that they're seeing me is a place that we can kind of build a, a base of of, of good um, uh, good positional control and, and good uh, management of their symptoms and then build a program, a strengthening program and a fitness program based upon that. Um, as well as people who I see who are, you know, a little higher level athletes, but who have still had persistent pain and problems who are like, now I'm, I'm, I'm at that level and I'm trying to get to that next level, but I'm limited by X, Y, or Z. So yeah, the people that I do see haven't been in some funks for a long, long time. And I got to be honest with you, Kevin, and this is, goes back to, to the conversation we started about before when I talked about sensorially enriched and, and you know, assuming everybody is wired the same way, mm-hmm. you know, we're not. And even though there are some commonalities of the way that we work, you know, I, I can think of, you know, two clients right now that are, I mean, they're in their mid-20s. They are fit-looking, active individuals. Um, one guy trains incredibly hard. The other guy is a is a is a college student who played who participated in collegiate athletics at Harvard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and both of these young men, you wouldn't think, are a, as involved as they are, but they are so in depth with awareness of what's going on with their bodies. And this is a this is a sore spot, and that is an uncomfortable thing. And man, I get in I get this spot, and I just feel like my whole hip is like like out of the socket, and my my back. I just, I feel the pressure. Like one guy, I'm, this is, this is true. It cracks me up and he's great. I have a great relationship with him and he's getting really, he's getting a lot better, but you know, he's like, like when I deadlift, like I can't handle the, the, the strap of my spandex against my body. Mm. He, this is true. Which is why I love how to share it with you. He's like, <laughs> I deadlift naked in the dark because I feel like all the other senses, <laughs> I've dumbed them down a little bit and I can really focus on what I'm doing at hand. And I'm trying to picture that. And I'm like, well, there's a, there's an image in my head. I don't think I needed, but that sounds um, dangerous, man. But, but this is people who you would look at who you'd say, yeah, but I don't understand you're running and you're biking and you're weight training, but yet you have all of these internal things going on. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that have a lot of stuff going on that, that, that we don't know. Um, that, uh, that I think that we, we take for granted with some of the clients that we're seeing that, you know, they come in and their training is a little bit off or, or they're a little stressed or something like that. Man, there might be layers and depths of stuff that when you start asking them what's going on, it's, it's scary. I was literally had a phone consult this morning with a guy from Australia who is a semi-professional, um, Australian rules football player mm-hmm. who was describing some of those very same things to me. Um, and, and I've spent a couple sessions online with him, just kind of helping him manage some of the stuff that he's got and working him through stuff. But some of the things you described, you'd look at this guy who's six, you know, six, seven, you know, two forty, two fifty, And you'd be like, you've got problems. Like seriously, dude, and you're playing that <laughs> level of sport. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's intriguing. I went off on a rant there, but my point being is, you know, don't take for granted for a second, the influence of what, um, the different. Uh, thing uh, senses can have on the way our body is able to function. And, you know, we work on the nuances of a position when doing training with somebody about good alignment and do they have ankle dorsiflexion and what's their rib position and are they breathing and all that stuff. When sometimes it's, you know, they've got a lot more stuff going on 
than just your simple cues can help with. What a show so far with Michael Mullen. Just love that guy. And he's getting the hookup. He's getting a couple pairs of pedestal footwear socks to train in himself to try out. And like this is something that I started thinking about is that like in the past, I've been traveling a lot. And in the past, like I would pack a pair of like Nike Freeze or something like that. And it just like didn't make sense because it takes up so much space just to train like once, maybe twice at a hotel gym. Like why not just pack an extra pair of pedestal footwear socks so you can save that space in your luggage. You can stick with the carry on instead of having to check your bags and you can still get a great training session. And trust me, I've traveled a lot. I've been bringing these socks with me to like hotels all over the place. No one has given me one bit of grief about it. And they just, they look like you're meant to be wearing them in a hotel gym too. So it's not like a crazy, like dirty white sock. They have great, you know, black socks with either the, the green or the red. And they still have that great setup where if you go to their website at pedestalforward.com, you can buy two pairs and get free shipping. So you can just keep one pair for the home and one pair like in your luggage. Like right now I'm getting ready to leave in a couple days. There's a pair already in my bag. So I make sure I don't forget them. And that way I only need to pack a pair of shoes, not a pair of gym shoes and a pair of shoes to do you know everything else that I'm going to do out there. It just makes so much more sense. Check them out at pedestalforward.com. Get your order in for two pairs. Get your free shipping. Try them out. And I know you guys are going to love them. I've been hearing feedback from the audience and nothing but incredible praise about these socks. Just so, so great. And I'm so happy to have them as a sponsor of the FitCast. Let's get back to the show. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to, to ask you about in terms of the, the education is not only are you kind of trying to uh, you know make this stuff approachable for, for any population when it comes to speaking and presenting, um, but recently, I mean, a couple months ago, you also kind of went to literally across the world to Japan to also uh, educate out there as well. So I was just kind of curious, how, how did that go and, and how was that experience? Well, thank you for asking, Kevin, and I should take note right now to say thank you very much for putting me in contact with them or putting them in contact with me. Um, you had been out there doing some some programming for, for, for Travis Johnson and Cowrie and right. uh, for Kineticos and the programs that they put on out there. And um, they had reached out to me you know, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, about trying to put something together as well. Uh, and they'd followed some of the stuff that I, that I put out in terms of my writings or my videos and all of that. So, you know, I'll just kind of clarify real quickly now. So, you know, I speak a lot on on posture restoration, and I try to I, I try to help people gain a, a, a better understanding of some of the sciences and how it's benefited me and how I utilize it with people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not on faculty at the institute, um, but I'm in constant contact with the institute with everything that I do, and and get you know all you know permissions and okays to be able to put these things on so i'm not i'm not teaching pri courses as much as i'm trying to help to um you know translate some of the information that they have uh, in a different way as well right uh, just a different approach so that being said um what what i had done with with kineticos out there was i went out to do a, a one-day program similar to what i had done in at perform better at their functional training institute and uh, at a couple of other places that that had reached out to me, and um, they uh, were, as you know, incredible hosts, mm. um, and they have a very deep passion to learn more about posture restoration. And the institute actually has been out there and taught a couple courses, which has been great and very well received. 
Uh, and so I kind of went out to try and just talk a little bit more about application uh, and, and trying to kind of fine tune some of their understandings of some of the different assessments and the, the interventions and activities that are used to try and help to, to improve outcomes and, and change some of the, the assessment findings. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, a, it was kind of a one-day program, but due to the, the translation, uh, that, that obviously adds time to it. It, was, it, was like it ended up being closer to two days. Um, but it was very well received. I mean, it was, I mean, I think Travis told me when they opened registration for it, I think there were 50 people there. It sold out in two hours. So Jeez. there's a huge draw and interest for, for the, the, the knowledge of it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I had some, some great help with some, some people who had taken some of the courses in a PRT out there, um, who was very helpful in helping me be able to you know, run the lab sessions and, and supervise people and translate some of the information a little bit more clearly. And mm-hmm. um, and then they also did a really neat thing to, on Monday, which I, I'm saying this out loud because it was less about my opportunity, more about something that really was a neat way to do stuff was they, they had registrations. I think there were 30 people at their studio for case studies. Hmm. So you know, everybody put their name on a piece of paper and we put it in a hat and then uh, I drew out a name and then I would bring that person up and then I would uh, assess them. I'd take, you know, take down a really basic history of any ailments, injuries or problems that they'd have uh, in the past or stuff that really was bothering them. Hmm. Um, not nearly as, as thorough as I normally would when I saw somebody. But then I'd kind of go through the assessment process. So it was a really great way to to be able to demonstrate and show people some of the assessments that that I might do and then be able to then utilize that information to help to create some intervention uh, activities that I would show people. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it seemed it actually seemed to go really well. It was just a way for me to be able to show like, hey, you know, what? here's one test finding that was positive on this person. And it's also positive on this person. But I'm going to go about it a little bit of a different way, mm-hmm. not because necessarily one's better than the other, but just because, you know, there's other ways to kind of be able to get the same result. Right. Exactly. Uh, and I'm going to show people that there's different applications that you don't feel like you're stuck on doing the same activities over and over and over again. Um, or, or you feel like you're constantly having people doing activities where they're lying down on their side or their back versus being able to people get up and, and get them more upright and supported and, and doing stuff in a, in a more uh, weight-bearing way. Um, and that actually went really well, and that was really well received. And I think that that's something that, that I would look into doing in the future around here because it, it just seemed to seemed to be a really good teaching model. Um, so that was yeah, that was Japan, and then obviously you got a chance to tour, you know, Tokyo and the, and the great city, and and spend some time with with just a, a wonderful couple, and and uh, uh, and eat really well. So it's <laughs> fabulous, fabulous trip. Yeah, I think I think that all came about because when I was presenting out there, like I brought your name up like four times in, in our lecture because that was when we were really starting to like imp- implement some of like the, the diaphragmatic breathing stuff in our, in our programming and our warm up and, and just how we do things at, at MBSC. So, um, I am all for, you know, getting great people out there to Japan to, to spread, uh, more great education and just, if, I want people to understand why I love going to Japan. <laughs> sure, people, yeah. You know, the more people I can share that with, uh, the better. And again, uh, it was, I heard nothing but fantastic things and selling out in two hours is just ridiculous. That's great. And hopefully you'll be back there, not in the summer when it's ridiculous, but hopefully maybe like in the, in the fall or the, the winter when it's just really, really great weather out there. Oh, good. It's actually good to know. Thank you. Yeah, they talked about the ring again. The summer is probably um, you, you go outside and within 30 seconds you're sweating and drenched. It's right. really it's really terrible. Um, 
Okay, well, I'm going to make sure I do this now because otherwise I will just hog this whole show. And I know we got questions on Facebook, so I'm going to do my due diligence and I'm going to ask those questions right now awesome. so I don't forget them, okay? Um, so uh, Kyle asks, uh, would you recommend a young person who wants to get into the fitness field to become an ATC? Uh, I think that that's a great question. And uh, so that people who may not know my my undergrad work was in as an athletic trainer. So I have mm-hmm. uh, an athletic training certification degree and um, and I have a physical therapy assistant degree. And so, you know, that 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 drove me towards the rehab world as I was going through my athletic training um, programming uh, not too long ago. But uh, I'm joking. It was a long time ago. <laughs> um, so and the reason I'm sharing that is just so that people understand where I'm coming from. So I, mm-hmm. I really liked the 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 rehabilitation and getting involved in the care and the progression of the athletes that I saw. So that's why I delved more towards the clinical model when I got out. Mm-hmm. But what athletic training really has done for me as well is it's, it's given me a lot of other diverse opportunities and skill sets that I'm allowed to be able to perform based upon what my license is. Exactly. So if, if someone who's looking to get into the field thinks from an athletic training perspective that um, there's the traditional model where you have the high school and the collegiate athletic trainer, and then there's, there's a realm of other avenues that can be, be, be approached. I'm doing a lecture this weekend in New York City at the Performing Arts Medicine Association meeting. So, um, you know, I delve into performing artists uh, and, you know, you can get into the military and be able to be involved with military and special forces training. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get into the strength and conditioning world and do a component of, of performance and strength and conditioning training. And to show you how much I believe a young person had recommended, my son just finished his freshman year as an athletic training student at University of New England. So. Oh, wow. Um, he's getting his undergrad in athletic training and he's looking to figure out from, from there where he wants to be able to go with it. So, mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't me pushing him, but certainly the, the influence that I had from him living with me, I think play, played a, played a big role in that. So Very cool. That's the answer awesome. is, the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, and, and this one may be a, a little bit longer of a question, but, um, and, and again, like, thank you for whenever people do send in like the, the Q and a stuff for the guests, I really do appreciate it. And Daniel comes in with, uh, with a great question. Um, I'm curious about the language aspect. Uh, many of the people I know influenced by PRI speak of it in less of a pure biomechanical and more of its ability to impact the ANS on a deeper level. Uh, I'm curious as to why, uh, at least with their basic info, uh, PRI has chosen, uh, chosen to not talk about the impact of posture, et cetera, on our ANS. Um, I love that question, and I I will speak from my perspective mm-hmm. uh, versus feeling like I'm trying to speak for the institute. If that's a fair way to phrase it, absolutely. Yeah. So, what I know for people who have first taken a course, most everybody I talk to leaves feeling like all of the stuff that people say. Oh my gosh, it was a paradigm shift, and mm. oh my gosh, the information was just so deep and and in depth biomechanically and. Uh, you know, there's just so much to it, and it is, which is phenomenal. And that's what for for people who are looking to to deepen their understanding of the human body, that's what it does. To take information that's already complex enough as it is in terms of the the um, uh, the, the imbalance between the right and the left sides, and our hemisphere dominance, and and all of those other stuff, to start getting into uh, ANS and start getting into you know cortical dominance and you know all of those other factors that are huge players during the introductory courses would be too much. Mm-hmm. One, it's it would be too complicated and not able to be done in a weekend. 
Two, the likelihood of people not being able to appreciate what they're trying to do would increase, I feel, because then it would seem too um, seem too ethereal. Do you know what I mean? Totally, so, yeah. you know, let's deal with the biomechanical mechanical aspect of things right for the early primary courses, which is what the three primary courses review. They're very well designed and formatted to be able to give people an understanding of the different aspects of what those those chains of muscles that are influencing our body position and structure do. As you go to start taking the secondary courses and you start going to the, the annual symposium and you start going to advanced integration, that's when they start talking about stuff on a, on a deeper level and they start really tapping into more of the other aspects of things that, that influence our system. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the changes that, that I can show you on video of people that I even just the other day, I was, had a woman who could not get off her. She's totally neutral. Her pelvis was in the right position. She had good strength and hips, lisp, all that stuff, but she could not get off her right side when she was using her elliptical. So I just, I talked to her about using her left periphery and I said, do me a favor when you're on the elliptical, do me a favor and use your left periphery. And I filmed her before and after. And it was Kevin, not even looking for stuff. She was blown away at the difference that having her understand a different sensorial input to her system provided for her being able to do what she needed to do or getting people to understand, you know, occlusion in their mouth and how that sensory feedback can influence the, the, the system. Mm-hmm. Their whole annual conference this year was on auditory influence and how the different uh, vibrations affecting our temporal bones and how that influences our, our position and awareness of, of feedback that our system is receiving. I mean, it's 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 deep, but it's really um, uh, uh, applicable when in particular you're able to apply it to tests. <laughs> and that's what the assessments always go back to is that's what I tell people. It's not about me kind of sell you on anything. Let me just show you my assessment of you. And now let's do an intervention. And now let me show you your assessment after and let's just show you the difference. And that's mm-hmm. what's really nice about the science is that it continues to follow that same model. Um, so from that aspect, I feel very strongly that it would be too complex in the early primary courses to be able to address it, but that the secondary courses definitely get into that a little bit more. You know, the, the breathing in and of itself is you know, our involuntary breathing is, is, is accessing a different part of our brain. I mean, that's down in our medulla and our pons. So, you know, we're talking about the deep brain, you know what I mean? The ancient brain down in the brainstem. And that's what's called regulation of your, your, uh, the stuff your body needs to function. Mm -hmm. When you start getting into different types of breathing sequences and different types of position changes and, and, and trying to override pattern dominance, it's conscious. Now you're in your cerebellum. Now you're in your cerebral cortex and starting to kind of have to kind of tap into different aspects of your brain's ability to be able to create that neuroplasticity that will allow that to become a new norm mm-hmm. to allow your body to be able to accept it and move on. Uh, I, before we do run out of time, I can't believe we're almost up on an hour already. But, um, you know, I always love to, to talk to our guests. We we're talking about books before, and I think it's always good to have, you know, at least one book on deck if you're reading something right now and having something else ready to go. So I was wondering if there was anything that's really caught your eye this summer, whether it be like in, in, in the field or just like in general in terms of books that you think, you know, is like a general recommendation that you could almost say everyone should probably go pick this up and read it and get something out of it. Wow. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, there's lots of good books. I mean, uh, you know, if you go to anybody's, you know, I think Seth Oberst and Kevin Carr and you know, a bunch mm-hmm. of people recently kind of put up a bunch of pictures of, Kevin of books Carr's that a book they love. Machine. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, I'm, I'm just finishing up now. It's actually really funny. Just before I went to Japan, uh, a couple of clients that I, that I see at their house, um, said, Hey, you know what? I, I have this book you might really like to read. And so he gave it to me and I was, I read almost all of it. It's, it's fascinating. It's called Phantoms in the Brain, hmm. Probing the Mysteries of the Human Mind. Uh, it's written by, by a guy named V.S. Uh, Ramachandran, who uh, is a neurologist. But what makes it so fascinating is it really talks on a very understandable level the influence that um, different types of things related to our brain structure has on our function. So he's looking at it from a perspective of people with phantom limb pain and people post-stroke and people uh-huh. have different types of concussions and, and what has happened to different parts of their brains and how their body now functions as a result of it and how they mm-hmm. perceive things um, and how um, – Certainly, the, com- the the cases that he brings up are very. Some of them are incredibly complex, but it lets you know, like, wow, you know what? I've got clients that that have pieces of that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They have a small element of that that I guess I never really thought about. That there's probably something deep inside, above and beyond them. You know, being you know, you hear motor motor moron and all that kind of stuff. It's like mm-hmm. no, it's truly stuff that maybe has happened. And then when you start having kind of conversations, you realize, wow, you know what? This person really they had that concussion 10 years ago. Maybe there's an aspect of their brain that still is affected by that mm-hmm. or something along those lines. It's a fascinating book, Phantoms in the Brain. Oh, okay. So I was I was like, yeah, this 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 uh this author sounds familiar. He actually has a um a TED Talk, uh, Three Clues to Understanding Your Brain that's up yes. on on YouTube that you can go check out and that um that might be a good uh jumping off point. It's like a 30-minute talk and uh you know, maybe go go give that a look and and then go pick up the book uh as well. But yeah, I remember that. I man, I watched that a couple of years ago, but maybe that's good to revisit again today with all this stuff in context. Yeah. Uh, do we have 5 minutes for me to talk? There were two other questions yeah. that were posted Posted on my on my Facebook page. Absolutely, yeah. People. So I'll just kind of I'll address those real quick. Um, that uh, that I thought were good questions. You know, totally. one of them, the both of them were kind of both of them are kind of related to you know post restoration and applications. So mm-hmm. um, one of them was was uh, uh, you know basically how do I give me one second here to kind of pull it up real quick. Sorry, Kevin. Um, no problem. I'm sorry I missed them. No, no, it's all good. It's all good. So one, uh, Corey Payne asked, uh, Corey asked me how you structure workouts for general population clients, mm. people who just want to feel better and stay healthy with PRI concepts in mind. And, and that's a great question because, um, you know, a lot of the stuff people read about really talks about these high level athletes and, you know, you go to perform better and everybody's, you know, you know training people wicked hard and everybody there is in, <laughs> right. super, super fit. And you know what I mean? So you get in this mindset of feeling like, wow, okay. So, uh, but most of the people that I see are like 45 and 50. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean, they'll train hard when they're there, but otherwise they're riding a desk or they're traveling all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the, the population of people that I think, you know, many of us are seeing pretty consistently. So, you know, in terms of how I, I structure my workouts for people like that is, is, you know, my assessment is, is a, is a huge component of looking at, uh, the, 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 the posture restoration, uh, assessments that let me determine joint position mm-hmm. and making sure that their joints are in the best position that they can be in to be able to then exercise successfully. Breath work helps to manage that. As I mentioned earlier, 100% of my clients get uh, get, get breath work training. Mm-hmm. And then we do some positioning-based activities because most of the people and most of the things that I do are more one-on-one at this stage, although I do some, do some, some team consulting stuff. Mm-hmm. So they all get some positioning stuff to address things that might be considerably off in my assessment. 
meaning for those of that that know posture restoration, like an adduction drop test or or measuring rotation of the shoulder, meaning HGIR, which is looking at rib position and, and, and position of scapula on the thorax. You know, if those are way off, well, I, can't, I can't do a ton of work with them without feeling like I'm going to potentially make them more sore and inflamed. So I, I do stuff to get those findings to be much better than they were when they came in, preferably mm-hmm. awesome. But I can't waste my entire session getting them awesome all the time. You know what I mean? So I structure things in a way to kind of say, okay, I want to get them into a better position. And now I want to get them doing activities that are going to reinforce all of that. Mm-hmm. And then I'll use a lot of the principles for their more upright activities to reinforce some of that. And that's where your your deeper understanding of some of the, the, the principles related to understanding different you know, reference areas that I'll have people feel and, and, and utilize as, as contact areas or, or areas they can think about during their training to try and get their, their body in certain positions more successfully. You know, when they move to the right, I'll cue them a little differently than when they move to the left as a result of my understanding of that. And so that's the, the way that I'll integrate it as they start to get into me more dynamic stuff. Awesome. Love it. Uh, and then one other one was, you know, someone kind of piggybacked that was, uh, how would you program and structure group fitness activities with PRI concepts in mind? Mm. Or more, do you have a screening process limitations class size? So, you know, just real quickly, the thing that I tell people is it's harder when you get to groups because they're there to work out. And they're there with with the, the, the focus of being able to kind of train at a higher level because that's why they exactly. do the group stuff to begin with. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some things that I feel are pretty safe to do for everybody that are, are good ways to get people into a good position. Mm-hmm. I like on all fours breathing with that rounded back, what the Institute calls modified all four belly lift. I think that's a great way to be able to get good expansion of the, the rib cage where it needs to be expanded It gets good abdominal and pelvic muscle activity positioned in a a good way to allow them to be able to be uh, uh, more active and accessible for their training programs. Uh, I like people doing some type of uh, alternating activity that gets them on their hands and knees, like a crawling activity and then moving into a bear crawl. Again, I'm cueing them on good airflow as they do it. Uh, And I like retro work. I like to get people walking backwards and really sitting, you know, with an alternating arm and leg position, really sitting back into that hip so they really activate you know, the muscles that I'm looking for in that position, which you could call posterior chain or uh, how I look at things as well is really being able to integrate rib rotation and pelvic rotation and the proper muscles you need to be able to activate that that much more and then get them moving. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, no, those are those are awesome takes and those are super important to, to, to get across with you know, after everything that we talked about. Uh, you know, people still need to train. Yep. yep. Got to do it. Um, so... Before we uh, do wrap up, I just want to uh, let people know that you know they should be checking you out. You're, you are on Twitter at uh, MJMATC as well. Uh, you got that Instagram game going on now, which is great. Um, I that a little bit. It's been fun to kind of see what people are putting out there. It's a yeah. new realm. Right. I was resistant for, for a long time, and I eventually... Uh, I eventually jumped on board again. It was like Kevin Carr and Marco Sanchez being on my butt and saying yeah. that I should do Instagram, <laughs> but whatever. I'm not. That's as far as I'm going to probably go in the social media world. But um, outside of that, is where's the best place for for people to to check out your stuff? And, and do you have anything coming up that you want to you know let the audience know about? Um. Yeah, I have a couple pages on Facebook. I mean, one is my my my, my business page, if you would, Integrative Rehab Training. Mm-hmm. And I don't list like my hours or any of that stuff on there. I really put on information I think is pertinent to general 
rehabilitation, fitness, training, conditioning, and, and how, how that would apply to, to people who are having interest in that, in those topics. So awesome. you know, a lot of that is on there. And I do have another page uh, called PRI Musings, M-U-S-I-N-G-S, mm-hmm. just because I felt like I needed to have a place that was really specific to that because people who look at the integrative rehab stuff may not have any training or background in understanding a PRI. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can kind of go deep into that other page and kind of go into some different tangents that, that people who do have a deeper understanding of it could be able to kind of appreciate and understand and I, I wouldn't be losing people. So those are two pages that I spend some time on as well too, putting down information that I find interesting and, and helpful for me. Awesome. Well, that was, that was a really quick hour. Yeah, it was a really quick hour. Exactly. Kevin. Um, that was a ton of fun. Yeah, it absolutely was. And, and just, uh, you know, for the audience, just a couple of quick programming notes where we're getting close to, to episode 400, believe it or not. So this is, uh, we're continuing the, the ride towards 400. And I just want to thank all the people that are supporting the show through Patreon at patreon.com slash the fitcast. Those guys are getting the shows two weeks early, uh, plus any other kind of bonus content. And really just, it means a lot because they're helping me, uh, produce this stuff and they're supporting the, the content that is being produced. So Thank you to to all of them, and uh, I think that is gonna that is gonna do it for for us. But uh, Michael Mullen, thank you so much, man, for for coming on and, and chatting. And it's good to transition this, and we actually made it happen. It took about a year, uh, yeah. but we made it happen. It was it was good to catch up again. Great to catch up with you, Kevin, as well too. And uh, hopefully, we'll, hopefully we'll make it down to Providence and see Providence in a week. But otherwise, uh, best of luck to you. you. Guys are doing great work down at MBSC. Keep up the great work with your CFSC programs one and two. And it's just great seeing your guys' successes. You guys do you guys do great work. Thank you so much. That means so much, uh, especially coming from from you. And just uh, we we've learned so much from you over the last couple of years. So thank you, thank you for that, and for the audience. Um, you know, again, don't forget if you like this show, you can jump on iTunes, submit a review on there, and there's lots of great things. Don't go to uh, don't forget to go to fitcast.network for all the other shows on the network that uh, new shows are popping up every single day, new episodes, I should say. So make sure you go and check out for all the other great content on there. And we will see you next time. Take care.